You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. We've got the kiln fired up. We've got the furnace prepped. We're about to unsheath the laser fire of Torah. Yes, Rizcha the Raisa is coming your way. But first, you've heard of me on this platform touting NRS, a great company whose many dedicated employees I get to see in action. NRS Pay has recently launched its new cost-cutting program called Cash Discount. The way it works is any vendor using NRS Pay Cash Discount has their sale register tabulating automatically a dual pricing, which offers customers a choice of a cash payment, which could result in up to a 4% discount over swiping their card. If your business meets the $18,000 a month threshold, there's absolutely no monthly fee to incur. NRS Pay Cash Discount makes it less expensive to accept credit cards, so you'll save money while helping your customers save at the same time. NRS is offering a time-limited deal right now on this state-of-the-art system. You'll get a free card reader with zero hidden fees, no long-term contract, and no early termination fee, which means you can switch your processing plan without penalty. NRS Pay is a proud part of the IDT Corporation that I've been associated with for over 10 years and has integrity built into its corporate DNA. I know its founder and officers and salespeople, and they truly stand by their product and will help you with live stateside-based customer service on any issue or question. Check nrspay.com for more information or call 833-289-2767. And now, Rizcha Daraisa, coming your way. Get ready. If it's Erev Shabbos Kodesh, this must be Rizcha Daraisa. Once again, we start this program with the Ptira of one of the Zakandar yeshivas in America from probably one of the most prestigious yeshivas in the United States, Yeshiva Chaim Berlin, the Rosh Hashiva of Arshechter, Zechel Tzadik Livrocha. The Levaya was yesterday. I know that throughout the yeshiva world, the Levaya was live streamed. I'm here with, of course, Rabbi Yisif Gabriel Bechoffer. Did you catch any of the Levaya of Rav Arshechter? No. I think we've talked about on this program, you know, how the same way Yeshiva Sitzel Chonin has so little to do, of course, with the great Yitzchak Spector, and Yeshiva Chaim Berlin similarly has so little to do with Rav Chaim Berlin. These were, as we, as many of our listeners know, it was a schus for this Godel who had been nifter, even on the other side of the planet, to be making Yeshiva Al Shmoy. And it's, it's incredible because, as I think I pointed out in that, in that program, most people don't have an inkling about the Derech Halimud or the Derech Hapsak of Rev Chaim Berlin, the Nitziv's son, the Rav in Moskva. Chaim Berlin has, has, not only has it no connection to the original Rav Chaim Berlin, the yeshiva itself went through so many iterations before it becomes the Chaim Berlin that we know. And part of it has to do with the incredible, I, I would say, power of personality of and although uh, uh, Karobach, the other one, <laughs> was was the Mashkiach after Rav Victor Miller had left, there was no question about it that the that the the yeshiva was formed, shaped, and developed the way Rav Hutner himself was developing. The Rav Hutner of the of the of the early days of Chaim Berlin was was almost like an American type of short jacketed. We're going to try to have a yeshiva for American boys. And eventually, the yeshiva really becomes 
sort of goes further and beyond, and it creates a very unique tzura. I don't know, if people would want to explain what that tzura is, uh, how, how would you be magder, the tzura that Rav Hutner finally gave to the yeshiva? It's the Slabotka style, which is tinged with some element of Hasidus and also has a more domineering aspect to it because of Rafunder's low regard for American yeshiva bachim. Well, l- l- let's explain. Slabotka is a muster yeshiva, right? And with muster, you think that, and you mentioned Rabbi Bramelia, you're thinking about, you know, a lot of work on Shvira's Amidus uh, and 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 and, and self. I didn't slap Botka so much. We're not talking about in the Vardic, right? Right. But we're still thinking about people that they spend a long time in Musar Seder and and thinking about psychologically what their nefesh is. I, again, I beg you to differ because Slabotka, There were a lot of people like Rabbi Kovler who had very little use for Musar. Slabotka was run by a Baal Musar and he tried to run it up Piyusoidus of Musar and. Many people did learn uh, and, and arbit in Musr, but not everybody. But Chaim Berlin is Bechlal. I'm sure they have Sifri Musr in their Oitzer, and I'm sure people use them. But Bederach Klal, what Rav was talking about was, it was the Godless Adam aspect of Slabotka, but was also fused with a lot of what we would call Machshava, Neo-Hasidic thought, or, you know, Maral, and, you know, the, the, the joke, of course, was the morale made one golem and that Rafutner made thousands of golem, you know, using sort of the morale as a recipe. It was, it was, it was, it was very different. Who's the than, joke is that? You've never no, heard that before? before? No. On the contrary, I think Hannah Berlin in the 50s and 60s, which was its heyday, it produced Gdolio, a pretty, let's say the Gdolium in America and they were not made of the same uh, cloth, all of them. They were very different. I, I don't deny that we have a Fievel Cohen. And you have Aaron Lichtenstein. You have a Fievel Cohen. You have Reb Hillel David. You have, uh, who else we have? Uh, Robert Schechter. Your Rosh Hashiva in Memphis way back when. Rabbi Mayor Belsky. Yes. Rabbi Yonason David. Rabbi Bruyer David. There, there was a tremendous amount of... Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. It wouldn't call them Goyums, but in one sense, they were. And, and, and I heard this from children of these, of these stellar personalities, that many of them, there was always, it was hachayas ritzoy vishut. There was, there was always machlekas, they came back. There was always this friction, you know, between Rafutner trying to bring the stable in. On one hand, these were brilliant men. On the other hand, you know, you can't stay kofuf necessarily. Uh, you know, to one personality and 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 Rav no doubt, but yeah, I would say that in, in places like uh, Lakewood, the cookie cutter mold is much more in effect than in places like Chaim Berlin. Even though Rav Hutner had a dominating and domineering personality, and Malkiel Cutler does not, there's no depth. Rav, let me put it a bit differently. Rav Hutner would be able to take a subtlety that he saw and use that. As, as if it was a patch and punim, right? He would see a certain mean or a certain type of hanhoga, and he would interpret it as, oh, you're trying to be moirid. There is a, a I, I wouldn't call it goilmim, but there is a sort of protectiveness that the, 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 the Rav Hutner demanded. Loyalty, protectiveness, in a certain way, you don't, you're not Megala, what's going on outside. 
another thing I think that the that Rav Huttner was able to, you know, I talk about the Gados Adam. There's there's a sense of dismissiveness of, you know, it's like the other guys don't get it. There there is a I spoke to a principal in one of their schools, and he told me that it was a Dover Pashut that the jobs would always go to high Berliners. In other words, if there was a question of who should be the mechanich, we're talking here whatever age it is, we're talking about an elementary school, that the applicants who weren't Chaim Berlin need not apply. And the other sheeps don't have a mahalach. Chaim Berlin had a mahalach. It's true that Rav Huttner was, was, was Doresh covered for himself more than most Rosh Yeshiva, but he took these Americans to have him credit. He took these Americans and made them uh, five O'Cohen's and Dovid Cohen's. Clearly, you, you are always attracted when there's a, an intellectual power. And Rav Huttner was giving Bachram something you know, maybe, you know, you have in tells you had something somewhat similar in terms of Shuri Das and but that was really almost like a, a, a Lithuanian Chassidus, uh the Telsers. This was it, it, to me it, it has the Stoltzkeit of Ger. There's like a certain sense of look, we are something better. Well Putin was Polish. Was he I don't know if he was a Ger, but he was originally but he was Polish. Yeah, yeah. and he, he wore a Spodik in the last twenty thirty well, years. Because Rav Cook wore a Spodik. Nothing about Rav Hutner is because of Rav Cook. Rav Hutner was very much his own again. What are you he talking was, about? His own Mahmashav is based on Rav Cook. He doesn't he didn't go with Rav Cook with Zionism, but he went with Rav Cook with everything else. Pachad Yitzchok, if we want to find Kavim Adeva, you see a lot more of Rav Tzodik than you see of Machshavas Rav Kook. He's sort of like Rav Kook in that he creates his own sort of language, not the Rav Kook sort of, I can't figure out what these words are, but he has this ultra, ultra flowery rabbinic style that I don't know if anybody was writing that yeah, way. Yeah, but I think it comes from his daughter. They say his daughter, his daughter was his, was his soiferet or so whatever. His, but you think you think Bria David really puts her gushpanka so much on the Maimar? for sure. Were you ever zocha to hear Maimar from him, Anyantif? No. Yeah, so I was, and he did speak, and he had a, a sort of a, a sing-song way of of saying it over. There was a there was an elliptical lack of hezbel, like yeah, like and azoi dalfil and dus haste. Like he, he, he spoke, it, it did capture the type of ways he did skim over these, these, these maimorim. But, but I think what you have is Pachad Yitzchok, and I was, for example, very close to Chaim Yitzchok Kaplan, who was a, also a very, was influenced by Chaim Berlin in his youth. And I remember when we were both in Mir Yeshiva, and I remember him telling me that, Kibalevich, you need to start with Pachad Yitzchok. That's where you have to start in Machshav. That's that's the beginning, and this is, I think, is an attitude that that many of the Chaim Berliners have. That I don't know if it's the end of the Machshav, but Pachad Yitzchok is the Mafteach. Pachad Yitzchok is the Shar, and that is sort of like a, 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 a it's a Chsidus. Another thing about the Chaim Berliners was, as you know, unlike Yeshiva Velt, you go with a short jacket, you wear a, a nice shoot. It was expected. I don't know at what age that you'd put on a frock, a Prince Albert coat. It was part of the idea that we are man malchei rabbanon. Right. And that was something that uh, I think was unique in the American yeshiva world. Uh, when, I went to the, when I first got to Neri's throne, there was, 
this fellow sitting in the, um, you know, in the base medrash, very imposing with a frock, a huge fellow with a frock and a Hamburg. I didn't know who it was. I went to my friend, who is this person? And he said, that's the Rosh Hashiva. They said, uh, he was joking. It was Rabbi Wolk. He was the English pencil of the high school. And I believe he was a Chaim Berliner. That's why he wore a frock in Hamburg. And he looked mamish the Rosh Hashiva. Okay, so now we now we understand what the connection to Ger. We know there was a bracha that they supposedly, uh, maybe it was from the Emes, or maybe it was even from the Svazemes himself, that the Chassidim would all be big. And as we know, the Ger Chassidim are quite, quite large. Chaim Berliners do have a tendency to grow them big. They go for the big size in the frocks. So, you know, we, we've done a Chaim Berlin with a little bit of, of humor here. And, but Ravar, I, I asked my friend, uh, who is close to the, to the Nifter, that why is it that Ravar and Shechter took over the yeshiva? And he said part of it was because that Rav Huttner only had one child, Beria David. And he would have really gone with either Ravar and Shechter as a, as a son-in-law or Rav Yenis and David. Well, sometimes women choose the Rosh Hashivas. But Rav Huttner understood that Rav Aaron Shechter was Roy Lakach. So when the yeshiva, and of course they, 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 it didn't work originally, but when Rav Huttner, based on maybe his Kesher, that he is young Kesher to Rav Kook or others, he felt that the future of the yeshiva would be in Eretz Yisrael. The idea was they were going to take over Beisat Talmud. Uh, which of course was Rabero Schwartzman's yeshiva, and they were going to fuse together to make like this, this Shamira of a place of Chaim Berlin slash Pesach Talmud. And Rav Yenis and David would be the Rosh Hashiva there. Eventually, after that ill-fated attempt, they ended up having a, a Pachad Yitzchok, a Kailo. Some friends of mine learned there was very close to the Kailo, but they left America to the Nemushais. They left America to Ravarn Shechter and Ravarn Shechter did not seem to be the type of Eisen personality of, of Rav Hutner. I've heard a number of stories in the, since his Ptira about his tremendous Avas Yisrael, his tremendous Chain. My friend was an Eideraya to this story, so I can say it over. He was walking Rav Ard Shechter, and this was before there was even a, anything like a Kosher Erev Flapush. And Rav Ard Shechter saw there was another, perhaps a more modern Jew, that was walking with his raincoat, and the belt of his raincoat was very loose, hanging down on the side. So Rav Aaron, who was walking with his Talmud, my friend, and he walked quicker to catch up with this Balabos. And he gave him a very varm shalom aleichem, and he was talking to him, he asked him who he was, and he got a whole five to seven minute conversation with Rav Aaron Shechter, and he asked about his family, Anyway, as they were, as they were talking, and Rav Aaron made sure that they were just standing there talking, as he finished, he said to me, you no, know, I just want you to know about your belt. And he wanted to tell them that, you know, since the belt is hanging loose, so Arab, that it would probably be a good thing, it'd be a good thing for you to just tighten it and, and tighten it around uh, your waist. And he used that story to indicate the, first of all, the, the care for another yid, the derach of how to do such a thing. That was a, 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 a something that Rav Aaron had, and he said he saw it in other places as well. After Rav Hutner was Nifter, and Rebbeinus and David and Rebbeinus and Bruyer David were on their way back, so the yeshiva was Malave him to the airport. So as they were taking him to the gate, my friend noticed how Rav Aaron 
went out of his way to, to speak to other Yidin there, to speak to other non-such Hasidish or Frum or uh, Yidin, and to talk to them in a very loving, positive way. He also mentioned to me that Rav Aaron was famous for being Lamalam and Azman. Supposedly in his youth, when he was starting to give shear, he could go for three and a half, four hours. I, ne- I didn't have this supposed to hear from him. But they talk about his Abbasatera being so immense. I don't know if that is what you would call a Rav Hutner Talmud, but according to my Chaver, he was Oduk in Gansen to his Moiri Rabbi. Well, I'll tell you, Ramesha Salvechi told me a story once, and then I told it over to Rabbi Al Cohen here in Muncie. He said, Kenneth Zion, the story never happened, but nevertheless, I'll tell you the story the way Ramesha told it to me. Ramesha said that at Aaron Shechter's Chasna, his father, Rabbi Aaron, who was a Rebbe at the time, Chaim Berlin, was uh, standing with uh, Rav Shurkin, who was also Rabbi Chaim Berlin. And the minute he said was that in Chaim Berlin, I know there's also a minute in Chabad, I don't know where else they did it, that the Chassan wore the Rebbe shirt. It's like the, the, was the Chassan wore a Rebbe shirt. So it was taking a long time for a Baron Shechter to go down to the Chuppah. I, my Yiddish is not good enough to say this properly, you'll correct me. So Rav Shurkin turned to Rav Aaron and said to him, Mistom erhoiptan sein gatkes euch. He's putting on his underwear as well. So <laughs> I, obviously Rav Shurkin felt that Rav, Rav Shurkin felt at least, Rav Aaron Shechter was felt extremely, extremely close to Rav Hutner. Yeah, well, that might be the ultimate reason, you know, again, that he, because there were probably other candidates. I have to say that I heard a story again, and those of you who are you have your ear to the ground, we'll even hear much more. You know, I, I just spoke to my, my, my dear friend who's very close to the family. And he mentioned to me that, you know, the last couple of years of Aaron, Zohar Nebrach had not been well, but they found him uh, once he had fallen. And when the family found him, he had fallen. Uh, he was very, very agitated, but not because of the pain of falling. He said that there was someone that, that, that was, that he needed to answer a question to. And the phone was, he couldn't reach the phone. So he was upset that he knew that there would be somebody wanting to call him for an Eitzah or a Hiro. And he knew he needed to be near, next to that phone. His own personal tsar was secondary. From what I've heard, he was not the tiger that you had to be scared of, like, like Rafutner. You know, you know, used to say over, it's a Bavusta Vort. You know, why does the Torah you know, mentioned to us about, you know, it was Ach Noyach. And Chazal, of course, Rashi quotes the Medrash, that Noyach, Ach, that he had actually been, uh, he had been gesticulating or in, in, in pain because he had, he had been bitten by the lion. So, you know, he said that, uh, you know, the lion, I mean, Noach was, was, was there to, to feed him, right? Noach was there to feed him. You would think the lions and all the Bahamas understood. That this was Ashkoch of Hashem, and and here's Noach who's 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 being mated to them. So he said, so the oh, he's a little bit late. Okay, you have to understand where's the docility that you see that you don't see in the lions, like you see in, in the Central Park Zoo. So he said, he said you have to understand what I said. Tusigavin the let's delay. this was the last lion. <laughs> the let's delay is Shreidandosh. Those it's one thing. If you're a part of a whole big pride, but when you're the last, 
then you have to stand for, you're not going to let things, you're not going to let things go. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to be makbed ala And I really have the feeling that Rafutner saw himself as the let's the lake, right? He, he felt that he was from the Dora Kondim. He felt he had to stand on this. And it bothered me, Shnickel, because, okay, there's plenty of yeshivas. The Chaim Berliners do have a little bit of that, that chip. They have a little bit of that, that sense of things. Yeah, it's an interesting point, which you raised, by the way, which is that, um, Rav, Rav, Rav Futner was junior by quite a few years to Rav, Rav Yaakov and to Rav Ruderman and to Rav Moshe. And yet, you know, he was, I, I don't know the last line, but he certainly saw himself as being of equal if, stature to, uh, to them. Look, there's no question about it that the Chaim Berliners felt that they had the jewel of Klal Yisrael as their Rosh Hashim. They felt that he was Ish Ashkolius Shakolboy. Neither of us are Chaim Berliners. I'm third, fourth hand with Ravar and Shechter. I am impressed, however, that he was able to retain the Chaim Berlin Eisenkeit Fused together with a great ava and a great sense of, 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 of being mischassed with his Talmidim. It's interesting that he wrote a safer in his twenties, I believe, Avoidus Aaron. But it's interesting that, you know, we don't find out in the shelves, like now they just came out recently with Shurim of Rabdov Landau or Shurim of these other Rishishivas. It's interesting that the Chaim Berliners have not started, you know, publishing the Kontraisim of Ravar and Shurim. Yeah, I'm not sure what to make of it. And, and I guess the other thing is, is that how would you understand Chaim Berlin's sort of, again, we know like Taylor Vidas that the college was, was understood and people knew he went to college. And, and Chaim Berlin, what was, where do you see was, was the idea that everyone's going to become Klikoidish? What did they expect? Or to become nursing homeowners? And, there, are and become- two fa- there are two famous pieces in the Igros of the, the Pagus of, I, there may, may be more, but the most famous pieces. One of them is the one, the very short letter in which Rebutner writes to Utamid, I want to let you know, I'm writing you to let you know that I'm not Michael you. And, uh, you know, like a one-liner, could the other stuff in the letter, which is cut out, but the point is to show that Rebutner has told people he was not Michael them, that they should know that they have to, to prove what they did wrong. And this, I think in this case, the comment did not come to, uh, kind of believe for young Naroim, as he was supposed to. And the other one is the perhaps more famous one, where he says that if somebody goes out to work from uh, a farmer yeshiva, we don't look at him as having double apartment, but having a broad apartment. Or I think that's the Russian. In other words, he said that he saw that uh, there's a concept, I don't of course it's not Torah of uh, YU and not even Torah Derecher necessarily of Rabshan Shvall Hirsch, but there was this idea that, yes, a, a secular pursuit even a secular degree has this, uh, broad, can be seen as a broader life, not a paradoxical or compartmentalized life. That's, I think that's very critical to understand. Um, I don't know if Rav Ruderman had that same, un- or, or, or whoever it was, interpreted us or the mirror who allowed college at the time had that kind of perspective, but Rav Wittner, he did. And, and we know that Chaim Berlin is supported by Ashira Muflogim. Many of their musmochim, again, some of them are just basically the same names, but it sounds like, you know, they knew that they needed people to go out and be in the business world. Yeah, but that's a bit cynical, don't you think? Why am I being cynical? Because you're saying that like, uh, 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 uh,
had to uh, have uh, Rabbi Eliel Fruchtander be a greer for him to be able to be the uh, Rosh Hashiva and for the Chaim uh, to survive. It sounds a bit cynical. Though. I think what he wanted the Gevirim to be is that you're still the Stoltz Chaim Berliner. You're still going to go with a frock, but of course he wanted people to go into Parnosa because he wanted to keep this thing going. He wanted to, he wanted there to be a Kailil. He wanted the yeshiva to, to continue, whether it was, it was providing scholarships. One of the signs of growth, you know, we talk about Chavetz Chaim perhaps and other places is, is the branches outside of, 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 of the, of the main network. So Memphis was in a way a weird example of a Chaim Berlin branch for a while. Uh, and so therefore I got to see sort of like baby Chaim Berlin. And, and of course, one of the, uh, of the best of the Bukhrim in the Memphis Yeshiva ended up being Rev. Aaron Schechter's Aiden. That's Rev. Elio Yormark. He also had a great turnaround jump shot. I used to play with basketball with him on, on, on Sunday afternoons. So I saw, I guess, like Bezer Anpin, what Chaim Berlin was like. And, and again, without, I think even they will admit that the, the average Memphis Balabas didn't know what to make of it. You know, it was sort of like it was a Stoltzkite and a, a removal from the Hamoin that was demanded. And I, and I, again, I'm not sure exactly if it's still playing. And it's just probably, it probably isn't. I, I don't, at least, I didn't say it probably isn't, but I'm not, I have not seen any manifestation of it. You know, with his Ptira, I'm sure there's going to be more Taira from, from Ravadin. Let's maybe, you know, talk about the benefit that I think was pushed by Chaim Berlin. And that, of course, was the reprinting of the Maral. The Maral gets reprinted, I think, in 1960-something. I think the 61 or 60, you have that set that everybody had for years. And I had heard that it was most of it was because of Rav Hutner, who felt this was a necessity. You look at these the old prints of the Maral, it's almost impossible. And and I think the, the idea of Maral al Maral, that I think is something, and again, I can't say it's Rafutner totally. Uh, there was also in Eretz Yisrael others that were, that felt that this giant had to be recaptured. But I think it's, it's wonderful that you had Snorim in Maral, that, that instead of, you know, just taking the easy way out, that you would Haravanya on one of the most difficult Svarim. And, and that is, you know, the, that itself is, is an incredible thing. Especially in the days of the Masifta, where you download every little possible Nikuda, right? You, you get a, we get three lines of one thing, two lines of something else. And of course, you know, it's a potpourri. The idea that we're going to mamish, learn, have a stark Seder and, and go through every paragraph and be ma'ayan, how the second paragraph adds and changes things. Again, if that is part of what Rav Hutner and the Chaim Berlin Derech helped bring forth, then I think that's a very laudable thing. No, it's interesting. Another thing Rav Hutner went against the tide was he was the primary proponent of the Green Book. He was the Nasi of the Green Book Mifal. The Oitzim Afarshiat Talmud. Yes. And a lot of the uh, Gedolim were not big fans of the Oitzim Afarshiat Talmud. As it basically, once again, undercut the idea of Amelus. Yeah. So how do you, how would you explain that in terms of, you know, cause, cause clearly, I mean, you look at what Rav Hutner's Hangolas, for example, on Rabbeinu Hillel. Rav Hutner himself was, you know, he, he, he loved the Chikava Rishon 
He was able to, to, to even find what you would maybe call gribble or I type of diukim and build them into things. So he was into, in his own right, into Aravanya. Do you think he just wanted to, he felt American guys need this? The modern age needs to be able to have the raid encapsulated? I think so. I think he said that they probably felt that way. I think in Mary's role, they didn't let the green book into the, the only, you know where you had to go? You had to go to the, um, to the downstairs in the dorm. There was like a official Oitzer Asvarim, I think for arts purposes. In other words, you couldn't find it in the base Madrash. My day was, a, it was the locked room off the Estes Nashim. Here it was in the, it was in the Yeshiva dormitory on the bottom floor. A lot, that's where you could find the Oitzer before Shatel. And the Barbanel. I remember one of the early things that Suriel showed me, just to tie it to Nick Lassick's program. He showed me the, the, when I was obviously a young boy in Shalvin, he showed me still was still handwritten. Contrasting before the Pachyitzik was published. It was still handwritten in Rebbe Zimbruya's, uh, handwriting. The mimer of, uh, Rav Hutner on Baruch Schenkfeld Machusoyim and Boyd. And, uh, why, why Baruch Schenkfeld Machusoyim said out loud in Yom Kippur and not in the rest of the year. And it was a, I, it was eye opening for me. I, I, I felt it was extraordinarily, uh, breathtaking. This, uh, his Mahalach and, how he, how the Baruch shame is the amplification of whatever comes before and whatever and where, where it's said, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that, uh, this Rabbi Suriel showed it to me because he was believed there was an opening to understanding world of Machshava, which otherwise uh, was not necessarily so accessible. So I, I would, I, I, I'm not sure if I'm differing with you. I'm not sure if I'm saying the same thing as you. It's hard to know, but uh, I think that, uh, there is this, the Pagad Yitzchak, and uh, especially I, later on when I was in the mirror and the Yushalayim and the Sefer Zikon for the Pachinis that came out uh, with that amazing, amazing biography of, uh, which one could perhaps even call an autobiography, but certainly a biography of Rav Hutner. This is very, very impactful. Some of it, I think, might be, you know, creating a legend that might not necessarily reflect the truth. But I would say that he, in his stylist, whether it was Bury and David and him working together, you still needed to savor an idea and absorb, similar to the Maral. Again, he was he, the 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 language the Pachad Yitzchok is 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 not like your uncle Sefer about uh, you know the 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 keys to Kabbalah, the keys to Machshava. Rav Hutner, in a way, was mastier in his language. And he left certain things unsaid that you sort of had to contemplate in the beautiful phraseology that he was using. And that made you sort of think about it in sort of in, in a whole different surah. And then I guess you need people to explain that to you. But it was left for you to sort of absorb. And that was something which I think clearly brings out greatness. As Siv points out, when he was asked about this, uh, he was asked also why why he writes in certain ways Bikitzer and why he doesn't actually give more lines of Hezbir, like his nephew did in the Teretamim and other things. And he said, he basically says this idea that you need to be kind of the Torah. And if there's too much of the Mashpia there, and he's going to really, in a way, be Mazber to the point that there's nothing left for you to to sort of like imagine that I think this is what's being said, then you never are kind of the idea. In other words, to be confronted with this confusing 
phrase and needing to step back and think about it is really in a way what all greats foreign do. In my early in my early writing, I used to mimic the style of the Pacha Yitzchak. I found it so so gishmak. Well, it was wonderful in the little bit of research that I did to hear about the lave and the nefesh, the ruach, the the avasatera of of Rav And we here at Riska uh, extend to all Chaim Berliners and really to the Torah world everywhere. Divrei Tanchumim on on the Ptira of of Adam Godel. The Adin is Elu wanes, go into the Rishona, the Istalkus of, 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 of people, people like Rav Kostrikber and Rav Arzario and now Rav Shechtel, I think we, we, it gives us pause. It gives us pause. You know, I'll, I'll tell you this much. I, 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 I spent a number of hours this week, uh, reading some of the Yamaras Tahirois of, that they put together Rav Kostrikber. And Rav Kostrikber, I mentioned, you know, Nothing happens b'mikra, and I think that it, I think it behooves us really to not just be mechazik in whatever way we were, but I think again to to be oymed on the Torah of these. If it's going to be if it's going to be the Racham Srikvis Torah that's that's written up in Imaras Torahs, Rav Zeril's wonderful svarim, or again I, I think Rav Shachter would probably agree that if people would use this as a way to go back to Maral, as a way to go back to his Rebbe, Pachad Yitzchok, or even find that I think, again, this would be a wonderful source for Nishmiseyam. So if our programs do anything as uh, to promote more learning in this way, I think both of you, both Rabbi Yosef and I are, are have great, great satisfaction. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.